We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. We're finishing up the book of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 28. If you've got a Bible, you want to get there right at the end of Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So I looked at the passage this morning. I was reminded of an incident when we were living, when Shannon and I were living in Dallas about 15 years ago when I was in seminary. I walked into a local bookstore in Dallas. Actually, I think it was a Barnes and Noble or something like that. Uh, And I was standing at a shelf looking at the titles, just kind of perusing the titles. And a guy walked up and stood next to me. And he kind of looked over at me and he said, hi, how are you? And I said, I'm good. Thank you. He said, what are you you doing? Like I'm looking at, at books. He said, oh, that's great. You like books? You like to read? It's like, yes, yes, that's why I'm looking at them, right? So I continued to look and he looks back over at me and he says, you seem like a sharp guy. And I'll be honest, I thought, I am a sharp guy. He knows. He, He has me pegged. And he goes, you seem like the type of person that would be interested in a really good business opportunity. And uh, I thought, well, I, I am a sharp guy. Now, now, when I was, this was probably in my mid-twenties, I'll admit that I was a little bit more hesitant than I am now to simply say, no, thank you. So I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to tell you about this business opportunity. But he said, the, the only way for you really to understand is, is if you really uh, soak in it for a week. So he said, I- I'm going to give you this CD. All right, this was again back in like the early 2000s. You couldn't uh, do an MP3 or whatever. He goes, I'm going to give you this CD. I want you to listen to this CD over the course of the next week and then come back here and we will meet here and we'll talk about the business opportunity. Now, the fact that this guy's office was in the local Barnes and Noble probably should have clued me in that his level of success had not yet attained to the heights that he was promising me. But I said, sure. So I grabbed the CD. I I put it in my car on the way home. And and most of you know where this is going. As soon as I put it in and began to listen, I realized that uh, he was advertising a particular multi-level marketing opportunity that he wanted me to dive into. Now, I realize some of you have been involved in multi-level marketing, so I'm not going to go into whether it's good, whether it's bad. This particular company, uh, their product was like vitamins and toothpaste, sort of household items. So, but I listened to the CD, and here's what struck me. It wasn't so much that I immediately thought, you know, I can't make money doing this. It was that on the CD, this speaker presented this opportunity as if this business opportunity was the pathway to personal significance and joy in life. If you sign up for this, you will ascend the ladder of success. You will be wealthier. You will dress better. You will be better looking. Maybe you will be taller. Your spouse will like you more. Your kids will obey. You will be at the top of the social order in our society. And you will have a deep sense of significance and peace and joy like you've never experienced. And I thought, man, that's got to be some toothpaste. 
But as I listened to it, I realized, you know, it's not for me. And it wasn't because of the business aspects. The reason was because I thought, you know what, I don't think that the pathway to significance is through this organization. I don't trust what he's saying. And here's why, because I know that I have a message that is the true pathway to significance and joy and peace. I know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the way to know God. I know that following Jesus as his disciple is the way to live a life that is consistent with why God made us. And so it is the pathway to true significance. So I took the CD back and I said, you know, no thank you. It's probably somebody else. But as I thought about that experience, I couldn't help but uh, be impressed with this particular man's commitment to his philosophy and the guy on the CD at the same time. And I thought, you know, if I carry a message of that type of significance, of real significance, of eternal significance, why is he more willing to tell people about his business opportunity than I am willing to tell people about the risen Jesus Christ. What's amazing to me is as we read through the New Testament, it it, it strikes us that the disciples never seemed to question whether they should go and tell the world about Jesus. They didn't seem to have the same types of doubts and fears that I struggle with and that you struggle with. And I read that and I go, why is that? Now, certainly before the resurrection of Jesus, we see people like Peter cowering in fear and shame. But after the resurrection of Jesus and after the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, we see men like Peter turn from timid men to men of extraordinary boldness as they move throughout the world and in a matter of a couple of centuries, the gospel of Jesus Christ sweeps through their world and catches the notice of the emperor himself because so many people were trusting in Jesus Christ. Why is that? What happened? And as we read the end of the book of Matthew this morning, what we're going to see is that what happened is that they saw the risen Jesus alive and they realized he is who he says he is. It's all true. And if it's true, then we are commanded and commissioned to go in the world and share the message. If this is the pathway to life, then what it means is everybody needs to know. What we look at this morning as we round out the book of Matthew is what we call the great commission of Jesus. And we're going to dive into the great commission of Jesus. And here's really the point I want us to come to terms with this morning. It is this. Jesus commands every Christian to go and make disciples. We're going to break down what that means as we walk through Matthew 28 this morning. But Jesus commands every Christian to go and make disciples. Jesus will, in fact, extend the time frame of the great commission to say that the time frame of the Great Commission goes until the very end of the age. Until Jesus comes back, he will say, those who are my disciples are to make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples until the very 
end. What that means is that you and I in this room are still commanded and called by Jesus Christ himself to go and share the good news of Jesus here and around the world to make disciples or followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus until the day Jesus returns. And what we're going to see this morning is that the task of the church cannot be completed if the message is only shared through the professional Christians. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he said every Christian is called to make disciples. All right, we're going to dive into Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20 then this morning. Start in verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Okay, so if you remember, uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, he had told the disciples Uh, You need to meet me in Galilee at the mountain which I designate. So here they are. They're in Galilee. And Jesus shows up. He has died. He has risen again. And it says they see him. And some of them worshipped him. But it says some of them were actually doubtful. Now that's, that's amazing to me. That here is the risen Savior, and you say, you know, it it must be so easy to believe for those who actually saw Jesus. But here he is standing in front of them. It says some of them are worshipping and some are going, eh... I'm not so sure. Maybe it's not really him. Maybe it's a trick. We don't know. Who is this? What's going on? And Jesus, the first words that he says to them is this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what Jesus says is this. The basis of the command he's about to give is his own authority. In other words, this is really me. I really am alive. And if Jesus really is alive, then he has the authority to tell us what to do. Anybody who has defeated death and sin has the privilege of telling us what to do. It's his world. On what basis has Jesus earned this authority? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, After Christ's resurrection, he says, God highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus died, defeated sin, and then rose again and defeated death. And God bestowed all authority on him. And so Jesus stands before his disciples and essentially says, you need to listen and obey. Fundamentally, what Jesus is saying is this is the great commission, not the great suggestion. It's not a great idea. It's not a great thought. It's not if you have time. It is the great commission. All authority has been given to me. Those of you who have children, you understand this intuitively. Because you have no doubt at some point said to your kids, hey, son or daughter, please go feed the dog. And they say, well, I am whatever, reading a book, playing Angry Birds, about to go outside. I have an agenda that doesn't include your chore. 
And you as the parent say, no, I think you misunderstood the nature of this relationship. Right? It's not a suggestion. This home isn't a democracy. Look around the home. All authority in the living room and in your room has been granted to me. I earned it as your parent through years of pain and travail. It's not a suggestion. The authority resides with the one giving the command. The disciples understood this immediately because they understood the importance of what Jesus had just done. They recognized that the way between them and the Father had been paved by the death and resurrection of Jesus. They had eternal life. Because Jesus defeated death. And so Jesus stood before them and said, I'm giving you life forever and ever and ever and a relationship with the Father forever and ever and ever. And what I am asking of you is because of that, you go tell everybody in the world that there's a free gift of life. And it's a command to go tell. A couple of years ago, a friend of ours invited us to come to a resort where uh, he was one of the leaders at this Christian resort. And he said, I would like you and your family to come and spend a week at this resort as my guest, right? Translation is, I'm going to pay for you to come. So we said, that sounds like a fantastic idea. So we flew out there. It was in New York and we flew up and we went to this resort and we had a blast. And when we got there, the man who invited us there He said, hey, while you're here, while you're here, could you do me one favor? He said, would you meet with one of our staff members? He's our personnel director, the HR guy. He said, because I know that you work at a church where there are a lot of college students, and I would like you to meet with him and help him find ways that he can recruit more personnel to work at our resort. And I said, sure. Now imagine for a moment that I'd said, wait a second, I'm on vacation, Right, uh, we have a plan. We're going to go water skiing. Then we're going to go rock climbing. Then we're going to sit on the beach and read a book. And I won't finish the book in time if I have to take your meeting. Now, wouldn't he be perfectly within his rights to say, but, but, but wait, you're only here because I paid for you to be here. There's no vacation. There's no rock climbing or beach sitting or water skiing If I didn't invite you, and I'm asking you to take one meeting. Jesus paid for life. And he says, here's the command. You go and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We share because Jesus told us. We also share because this is the greatest message in the universe. When we have a message worth sharing. We share it. I'm going to guess that uh, all of us do this in various areas of our lives. Two or three years ago, my little lawnmower stopped running properly. And I was struggling with it. I couldn't get it to start. And so I called a local lawnmower fixer. And I took the lawnmower in, and I thought it was going to be expensive, or it wasn't going to be able to be fixed, or I was going to have to, uh, you know, go buy a new mower. Guy called me back the next day. He said, hey, it's all fixed. Only cost you 40 bucks. 
And I went and I picked up the mower and it ran like a dream. And I couldn't believe it. My mower had gone from death to life. So you know what I did? I got on Facebook that day and I said, everybody I know, I don't even care if your mower doesn't, uh, works right now. You take it over to this guy. You need to go. You just need to go meet him in case your mower ever breaks. I told people I met. I sent people to the business. Why? Because something, in my view, amazing had happened and I couldn't help but share. Jesus stood before the disciples and he said, the greatest thing in the universe has just occurred. Nobody else has ever done this. There are people in Scripture who have gone from death to life, but always through the power of God, working through a prophet or working through Jesus. Nobody else had died and then three days later said, you know what, it's time to get up and defeated death and defeated sin. Nobody else died in our place so we can have life. And Jesus says that's the best message in the world. You now go into all the world and make disciples. The basis of the commission then is Jesus' authority and the power of the message itself. So then the question is, what are we supposed to do? What's the work itself that Jesus calls us to? Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. So Jesus says, look, you need to go out into all the nations and make disciples. All right, a disciple is fundamentally a follower. A disciple is somebody who says, I believe in what Jesus has done, and then I want to arrange my life around Jesus' teaching. I'm going to do what Jesus said to do. I'm going to obey what Jesus taught. Jesus says, I want you to go and make more followers who make more followers. As I mentioned a minute ago, most of us are disciple makers in some area of our lives. Last year, some of you uh, made disciples or tried to toward your particular political candidate. So you got on Facebook and you convinced people or tried to convince people to vote for your party or your candidate. Maybe you were successful, maybe you were not. Some of you, you want to make disciples of your favorite band or your favorite sports team, right? If you are an American and you are a soccer fan, you want to make disciples of watching soccer, right? So you spend time trying to convince people that it is not as boring to watch as it actually is, right? And so you tell me, no, 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 it's really not that boring. Once in a while, they score. Not every game is a tie, And you make disciples of your favorite things. Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. You go into the world to all the nations and make disciples. Now, this this phrase, all the nations, it's the Greek word ethnos. And it's not necessarily nations like we think of them today. It's not necessarily nations as defined by the political boundaries, you know, Canada, the United States, India, China, whatever. The best way to think about this is all the groups of people in the world. That is, every group that is united by a common language, common religious beliefs, common culture. There are many, many groups of people inside every political nation, including our own. There are many people groups, right? So uh, this, I I ran across some statistics this week from an organization called Global Frontier Mission. 
Here's how they have divided up the nations of the world. There are 196 countries in the world, at least as of last count. That number shifts and changes a lot, as you know. 196 countries in the world. Now, in those 196 countries, they've identified 16,000 people groups. That is, for example, take India. There are thousands of different people groups in the country of India or China. They speak different languages. So even though they live under the same government, they wouldn't necessarily relate or talk to one another day to day. Groups, uh, people from one group don't always interact with people from another group. There are cultural and even linguistic barriers that separate them. Okay, so 16,000 people groups. Now look at this. 7,000 of those are called unreached. What does that mean? Less than 2% are evangelical Christians. That means that 7,000, that's something like 44% of the people groups in the world, less than 2% of those people know Jesus. All right, now look at this. 3,000 of those groups are what they call unengaged. You know what that means? There are no missionaries there. There are no churches there. There are no Christians to speak of, at least that they know about. 3,000 people groups in the world. Nobody. And so Jesus says, until the end of the age, all of us are called to be a part of the task. And he says, here's how you do it says, first you go. In, in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he will say, uh, you need to go into Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And you can trace that pattern with the early Christians. Even in the book of Acts, they go throughout Jerusalem And then they go throughout Judea, which was kind of their broader territory. And then Samaria, which was uh, territorially, they were in the same general vicinity, but culturally very different. And then they go to the ends of the earth. Paul spreads out and goes all the way eventually to Rome to share the gospel. And Jesus says, you keep going and you keep going until the day he returns all the way to the ends of the earth. You go. He says, you baptize. That is, you initiate them into the community of faith. For the earliest Christians, baptism was the moment at which you would say, I want to join on with God's people because I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so you see this in Acts with Philip and the Ethiopian official. As soon as the man trusted Jesus, he says, let me be baptized. And Philip says, you got it. And so they baptize him as his initiation into the people of God. Jesus says you initiate people into the faith. You tell them about Jesus and you draw them in and then you teach them to obey all that I commanded. So that discipleship becomes this lifelong process where somebody trusts Jesus and through the rest of their life they grow deeper and deeper in the faith. Now, now what's interesting about this is the brilliance of Jesus' plan. And here's what I mean. Part of that teaching, and we see this in 2 Timothy 2. If you were with us last year when we taught through the book of 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, hey, Timothy, the things that I taught you, remember, you go teach those to others who will also teach others, right? So part of teaching what Jesus taught is to tell people, by the way, Jesus has commissioned you to now go and teach others who will teach others who will teach others, right? Right here in 2 Timothy 2, you have four generations, Paul, Timothy, the people Timothy teaches, and then the people they teach. 
And that's continued to this day, right? That, the brilliance of this plan is that it is self-reproducing. Think back to uh, the illustration at the beginning of multi-level marketing. Uh, agree with it or not, love it or hate it, what's the biggest criticism of it? Well, if everybody signs on and everybody does what they're supposed to do, eventually there would be what we call market saturation, right? So if I find two distributors of this product and they find two distributors and they find two distributors, within a very short period of time, everybody I know will be selling toothpaste. And so I walk up to someone and say, would you like to sign on to sell toothpaste? And they say, I already am. I was at Barnes & Noble a couple of weeks ago. They got me involved. Here's the brilliance of Jesus' plan. Let me just give you some numbers for a minute. Grace Bible Church, right now we have three, four locations, including our Mandarin campus. Uh, This week, we're going to close on some property, by the way, if you hadn't heard that. May 10th, we're closing on our land, Lord willing. And our prayer is that we continue to have an impact in this community, and yes, that we continue to grow. But let's just look at some numbers for a minute. Let's say that Grace Bible Church plants 10,000 locations. Okay, 10,000. Now, barring a major move of the Spirit, that's not happening anytime soon, by the way. Okay, but imagine we have 10,000. And every year, each of those 10,000 churches adds 1,000 people. Okay, so after year one, we're at 1,000. After year two, we're at 2,000. Year three, we're at 3,000. And all 10,000 are doing that. How long would it take us to reach the entire world? 750 years. The people we're trying to reach using that method would all be dead, and so would we. Okay, but let me, let me cast another uh, strategy. Imagine that, that one person this year says, I'm going to make one disciple, right? I'm going to tell just, just one person this year about Jesus. So that the next year you've got two people and those two people say, I'm going to tell one person. So the next year you have four people. All right, let me illustrate this for a minute. I've asked Blake Gotsey to help me out with this. Blake, can you stand up real quick? Okay. Blake Gotsey works with our college ministry. Okay. Blake, kind of stand here in the middle. All right. So Blake is our disciple this morning. He's just trusted Jesus and he says, all right, this year, 2017, I'm going to tell one person that I know, somebody at work, somebody at Starbucks, a family member, I'm going to tell them about Jesus and make a disciple. So Blake is going to make a disciple. Blake, go tap someone on the shoulder, pick a disciple. Okay, now stand up. Okay, now we have two disciples, right? Now, 2018, each of them are going to make one disciple. All right, so each of you go tap someone on the shoulder. If for some reason you can't stand, you chose your husband. Very, very good. Good pick. Okay. Now, if for some reason you get tapped and you can't stand, just raise your hand. Okay, so now we've got four people. The four of you move through the room. Each tap another person. Okay, now we have, we should have eight. Okay, there we go. All right. Each of you tap a person and stand up. Now, if you're tapped, what I want you to do is now go tap another person who stands up. Everybody. Okay? Do it again. All right, now one more time. Okay? We've still got a few unreached people groups over here on the left side of the room. Everybody, if you can find somebody left to tap, tap them. That's it, isn't it? 
Everybody in the room is now standing up. How many iterations did that take? Seven? Eight? Okay, y'all can sit down. Now imagine if each of us in this room left the room this morning and we went and tapped one person who tapped one person who tapped one person. How long would it take to reach the seven and a half billion people on planet Earth? You know how long? 33 years. 750 versus 33. That's the beauty of the Great Commission, men and women. You don't have to be a preacher to thousands of people. You don't have to be Billy Graham. All Jesus is saying is you go into your world and you make disciples who make disciples. And then you even, he's going to tell them, you cross cultural and ethnic and socioeconomic boundaries and you make disciples over there who will make disciples, who will make disciples until the day he returns. That's the beauty of the Great Commission. Every single Christian is called to be a disciple maker. Now, I realize if, if you're like me, that's, that's often a scary thought. It's, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It can be difficult. There is a risk in sharing the gospel socially, maybe even economically. And yet Jesus says that the beauty is you make disciples who make disciples. And here's, here's his promise. Verse 20, second part of it. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It says, I'm with you. You don't go alone into the darkness of the world. The power of the Spirit of God goes with you. Before his death, Jesus had promised the disciples he wouldn't leave them alone. John chapter 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. If you know Jesus this morning, if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he rose again so you can have eternal life, you are equipped. You can make disciples starting today. You don't need another class. You don't need another degree. Those things can help us get better. And I'm not down on classes and degrees. I have some. But you don't need another before you begin the process of disciple making. If you know the gospel and you have the word of God, you are commissioned. Last week, we stood up here and we commissioned those who are going on short-term mission trips this summer. And you may not have been standing at the front of this room. So here it is this morning. I'm commissioning you and this church is commissioning you to go into the world and make disciples. Every single person in this room who knows Jesus is commissioned to that task. And Jesus promises he will be with you as you walk into the darkness because it is scary. One of my chores as a child when I was eight or nine was to go out into our backyard. In the home that I grew up in, we had a swimming pool. And so I had to go out in the backyard every night and empty the pool skimmers and kind of dump the trash or the leaves on the grass. But one of the pool skimmers was on the other side of a very large evergreen tree in our backyard. 
so that when I went around behind that tree, I could not be seen from the house. And I'll be honest, it terrified me to go back there. Something about the darkness, something about being shielded from view. And at the age I was at, I imagined all kinds of monsters. I had nightmares about emptying the pool skimmers. I'm not going to describe the most vivid of them this morning because you would walk away and have nightmares. But in my mind's eye, there were always uh, burglars and robbers and murderers lurking behind that tree to get me. So you know what I did? I went and got my dad. And I said, Dad, come in the backyard, please, while I empty the skimmers. You don't have to do anything. Just, just stand there. Right? And I know my dad thought, the whole reason you are emptying the skimmers is so I don't have to get up. Right? But in his grace and kindness, he, he would do it. And he would stand at the door and he would just watch. And I got a whole lot braver because I knew my father was there. Jesus says, yeah, you go into a dark, dark world. There are people who hate God. But I'll go with you. I will never leave, even to the end of the age. Every time I share the gospel, I'm afraid. Every time I share the gospel. And yet every time, I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to participate in what God is doing. And show you a quick photo. Uh, this is from, I want to say, 1992. That's me on the ground in the blue shirt. This is in Guatemala City, the first mission trip I ever went on. First time I ever really was challenged to share the gospel. I don't know who took the picture. But what happened was we went into a park and we, we had, of course, gone into another culture, another country. I spoke enough Spanish that I could get by. And so we gave a presentation and this uh, young person, I think that's actually a young woman, came up to me afterwards and began to ask me about Jesus in Spanish. And so I stumbled through and I did my best and I explained as simply as I could how Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for her sins. And she said, I want to believe that. And so right there in the park, we knelt down and she is trusting Christ in that photo. The first time I ever saw someone trust in Jesus Christ. And it captivated my heart. And I found that picture recently because one of our leaders on that trip passed away. It's been 25 years since that trip. And so some of us who went on it, we were sharing and reminiscing. In fact, those who are on that trip, there's a friendship and a connection that we have that I've shared with few other groups in my life because we were united around the Great Commission. And I said, that's what I want to give my life to. It's scary. But Jesus says, no, I'll go with you. What I've been amazed by over the years, too, is how God tends to put the right people in the right place at the right time. You are positioned in your world to make disciples exactly as God wants you to. Let me share you, with you one other quick story. This is just from two weeks ago. Uh, some of the pastors, we went to a conference in Orlando and on the way home, there were three of us that were traveling right around the same time. So we went to the airport together. Uh, so it, it was me, 
and Blake Jennings, our teaching pastor over at Southwood, and Chris Merrill, who works with Launch Global here in the community and helps us with outreach. Uh, Chris is an evangelist at heart, if you've ever gotten to meet Chris. All right, so we are in the airport, and we get on the little tram to go to our terminal, and we step off the tram, and we're hungry because it's right around lunchtime, and we look up, and there's a Cuban restaurant right outside the tram, and somebody, Blake, I think, says, that smells really good, and I said, let's eat here right now. So we walk off the tram, we get in line, we get our sandwiches, and we go to sit down, and there's nowhere to sit. It's, one of, it's, it's a busy time at the airport. There's only about four tables at the restaurant. So we're walking around trying to find a place to sit. And we look over and there's one table for four people. And there's one guy sitting at the table kind of scrolling through his phone. Doesn't have any food, nothing going on. He's clearly, he's dressed in an airport valet uniform. So we walk up and we say, hey, is it okay if we just sit here to eat our lunch? There's nowhere else to sit. He goes, oh yeah, sure. And he, he, says, he starts to get up and leave. And I said, man, you don't, you don't actually have to leave. You can sit back down. We're not trying to take your table. We'll just share your table. If you don't mind eating with us, we don't mind you being here. He goes, oh, that's great. So he sits back down, introduces himself. His name is Hector. He has two jobs at the airport. One is as a valet. The other is at this restaurant that we're eating at. We get to talking. And in the course of conversation, he says how much he loves music. And he begins to list all the types of music that he loves. And uh, those who know me well know I love music. I listen to all kinds of music, but in the list of genres and music, he says, even sometimes, even sometimes, I listen to Christian music. And I said, really? I said, what's your favorite song? And he mentions a song, and I say, well, where'd you hear that song? He says, well, when I was younger, I went to church for a while because I had some questions, and I heard the song there, but I don't go anymore. We said, well, why not? So, well, the music makes me emotional, and sometimes I cry, and there are too many pretty ladies at church for me to be seen crying. <laughs> I'm not making this up. All right, so we, we begin to talk about this a, a little bit, and uh, Chris jumps in and he says, okay, you don't like church. What about Jesus? And the guy goes, what about Jesus? He says, well, all three of us, our lives have been radically transformed by Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you, and he begins to share the gospel. Okay, now it gets, it gets even crazier than this. So uh, we are kind of wrapping up the conversation, and Hector's a little squirrely about whether he wants to trust in Jesus or not, which is fine. But we go, you know what, we can talk later. I say, Hector, do you have a Bible? And he says, I have two Bibles. And I said, that's great. Do you read them? He's like, no, right? So I said, here's what I want you to do. Open up to the book of John after we leave and just begin reading about Jesus in the book of John. He goes, okay, where is that, right? So we talk through, where's John? He says, I'll do it. And Blake says, hey, if you've got any questions give me a call. One of the things I love to do is talk to people about their tough questions about Jesus. So Blake reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a business card and he hands it to Hector. Now, Hector reaches into his pocket and he pulls out his wallet and he opens up his wallet. And on the outside of his wallet is an advertisement for bride racing seats, right? Bride makes racing seats for automobiles. Now, anybody who knows Blake Jennings knows that other than Jesus and his wife and kids, Automobile racing is his deep love. And Blake looks and he goes, you have to be kidding me. Okay, I'm not making this up. So now they pull out their phones and they are comparing racing cars. They're hobby cars. And Blake says, Hector, you have to call me. You have to call me. Not only about Jesus, but about the car. And I thought, just like our God, What are the odds that he would put 
people with those aligned interests sitting at the same table in the same spot. So that man could hear of Jesus Christ. See, we think we go alone. I think God is always saying, hey, I'm, I'm paving the way. I'm already there. I'm way ahead of you. All you got to do is open your mouth and share the message. Let me, as we close, give just a few quick thoughts by way of ap- application. Okay, those are going to come up at the same time. First of all, pray. Pray. Be thinking about the men and women in your sphere of influence. Be thinking about the men and women who serve coffee or serve at your favorite restaurant. Be thinking about those in your neighborhood, about your family, and pray. Not if you should participate in the Great Commission, but how. God, how would you have me move into my sphere of influence and have an impact? Second, give. Give to those who are going to the nations to empower them for the task. Our church supports around 100 missionaries overseas. You can get information on our website about how to give and where to give. We occasionally have opportunities for you to hear from those men and women here. And then thirdly, go. You go into your sphere of influence, into the community, and then into the world into your sphere of influence, that is your family, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, those around you, be praying and say, God, how can I share the gospel? And then open your mouth and do it. Into the, into the broader community, those that uh, may not be exactly like you. We have organizations like Aggieland Pregnancy Outreach or The Bridge, where you will find yourself connecting with those who are in a different people group from you but who live right here in Bryan College Station. I was talking with one of our volunteers this morning, and she said, you also need to mention uh, the deaf community, a whole other people group right here with a different language. And there are opportunities to pour into that ministry. There are so many opportunities. And then into the world. It may be God is moving you toward going on an overseas mission trip, maybe next summer. It may be, it may be that God would challenge you to go overseas longer term. You say, well, I've got a life here. It may be God is calling and saying, but there's life there as well. There are men and women who need to know Jesus. I'll never forget when I was in college ministry that one year on our missions week, I gave a talk about uh, the Great Commission and I, I urge these students to think this. You know, you're graduating. You may have a job lined up. You may have plans. But I said, I want you to ask yourself this question, though. Why not go for a year or two and share the gospel in a place that's one of these unreached groups? Why not? Why not? Can you think of why not? And a student walked straight up to me at the end. He was a senior, and he said, I can't think of why not. Where do I sign? I mean, he, he had like a pen. He was ready to sign. Like, I don't have the form with me, but we'll get it to you. Go and make disciples of all the nations. You start here and then move outward. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples until the end of the age. Every single Christian is called to make disciples. As we close, we are going to 
celebrate communion this morning. It's an opportunity for us to remember why we go into the world to make disciples. Because of what Jesus has done for us. So we remember that Jesus gave his body and his blood for us. So we did not have to experience death. And because of that, we have eternal life. And so as the men hand around the elements, spend a few moments in prayer thanking God for the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then say, God, here I am, send me. How would you have me go this week into my community, into my world to be a part of your great commission? So let's spend a few moments as the elements come around. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus, for his death for us and his life for us. We thank you that we have life. We worship him and pray that we would be faithful ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ here and around the world to the very end of the age. And Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly so we can enjoy his presence forever. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close in worship.